What's going on, guys? Welcome to this edition of the Real Estate Q&A. My name is John Papaloni. And my name is Saad Wali. Today, we are excited. We're going to have a lot of questions. We're uh, in a different room than we're normally in, <laughs> but we got lots of natural light. It's going to be fun. Looking forward to this. So, do you want to start off with question number one? Sure. So, uh, there's so number one. There's so much information and people talking about the effect of rising interest rates in the term of people buying a new home. I don't see very many people talking about people who already have their home and are going to be facing mortgage renewals in the next couple of years. My question is, with the rising interest rate, the stress test is going up with that. At least I'm assuming so. How does that affect the person renewing their mortgage in terms of affordability? Is it and then is it possible that they can lose their mortgage? That is uh, very interesting, mm -hmm. and yeah, like uh, <laughs> in terms of uh, rising interest rates, that is obviously a true fact. I mean, the next one I think is April thirteenth. Yes, next um, announcement. Yes. Yeah, it doesn't mean they'll raise it on the thirteenth, but there is definitely an announcement. Yeah. And with that being said, if it does go up, obviously the qualifying rate is going to change. Now, will it affect you? It might affect you on your renewal in terms of monthly payments. Um, with the new interest rates, that's going to adjust. Yeah. But aside from that, in terms of approval, it should not. And why is because, as an example, if you got approved right now, uh, we'll just say a $300,000 mortgage and you got approved with, um, you know, $300,000 mortgage at 2.5% uh, as an example, you would have actually got approved based on if the mortgage was five and a quarter percent. Yes. So on the renewal, chances are, I don't know the exact amount that you would have paid off in principle, but roughly we'll say it's 40,000 just for a fictitious number, just to give you an example. So your new mortgage is only going to be 260. So even if the stress test goes up to 6%, that difference has been factored on the renewal with the new stress test already because of the way you were approved before. Yeah. Could it mean you can't borrow more money? Like if you wanted you know, to take equity out, that would affect you because you may not be able to borrow as much as you, yeah, as before. as before, but in terms of actual renewal, I think all this was uh, factored in be when you got approved with the original stress test. Yeah, so you should be fine. I mean, again, better to ask a mortgage broker this particular question, but from my understanding and from my experience, you should be fine on the renewal as long as you're not asking for more money. Yeah, and and it usually affects mortgages. For people who have like mortgage with a one point five million dollar mortgage, one point that's yeah, then the rate goes up. It might be a difference, but like if your mortgage is like under five hundred, it will be like what thirty dollars. Yeah. No, but I mean the question was more not so much the money, the mo yeah, but more of the approval. Approval, yeah, right. I mean, and if you even if you got the one point five million dollar mortgage, yeah. that means you were approved for the one point five yes. um, plus two percent interest. Right. Yeah. So what happens uh, yeah, because you would have been approved that five and a quarter percent. Yeah. So by the time your renewal comes in, the amount you're borrowing is going to be lower. Lower, yeah. Because you've already paid some of it down. Yeah. yeah. So then you should still qualify with the new stress test because that was factored in. Yeah. So again, should. We're not mortgage brokers, we're realtors. Yeah. So 
I mean, good to check with a mortgage broker, but if you want to have an idea of what could happen, your mortgage is like three, four years away. That's kind of a general idea, so you don't have to be overly concerned right now. Number two, the last couple of years, homes have been selling for ridiculous prices, in my opinion. What happens when you put in an offer on a home that was listed for $900,000 and my offer was $1,250,000, which was accepted? I did not have a financing condition as per recommendation from my agent. And now the bank has told me that the home is praised at $1,150,000. So basically, I'm told I have to come up with another 100000 to get my home. And I'm told that I can't just look for another home because the offer doesn't have the condition. So I'm kind of stuck. So what do I do? What can I do? I mean, I really do want the house. I just don't have the 100000 more that I'm told that I need. What are my options? Okay, this has been coming up a lot lately. I've been hearing a lot about it. So one of the options is, is they can request another appraisal. And then request a third appraisal until it works. If it, that doesn't work, then they're going to have to just find another lender. Um, and because it's over $1 million, so I'm assuming they're putting 20% down, so there is no CHMC. So uh, because if there's a CHMC involved, they're going to have to find another lender that doesn't use the same CHMC because that it's over $1 million. So yeah, another like if another appraisal did not work, then they should go restart with another lender. Yeah, absolutely. Right. See, again, that comes back down to why I say, don't go directly to a bank because in this case here is where you would get screwed by going to a bank. And the reason, not because the bank is going to, is the almighty bad and you got to watch out for them. The reason you're screwed is because they appraised you at that value and they're basing their loan at that value. So now if you need to get another appraisal, you have to get one that they'll accept, which more than likely means you're going to have to go to a different lender. So now by going to a different lender, that's another ding on your credit which will also affect your approval amount. Yeah. Um, so if you go to a mortgage broker, that broker could shop your deal around and he could do the different appraisals to satisfy the other lenders. So that would have been a lot better in this circumstance. Again, this doesn't happen often, but with everything that's been going on and all the bidding wars and everything that's been happening, it's starting to become more... Yeah. Apparently. I've been hearing about it, yeah. So with that being said, it could happen. So no need to panic right away, mm -hmm. but get a different appraisals. The other thing you could do, and again, comes working with a broker versus a bank, you might have to, in essence, get your original mortgage and have maybe a private loan, um, private loan attached to it as a second mortgage to compensate for the money. That might be the option. Again, the mortgage broker will be able to answer the best route. Mm -hmm. And then also there's a, this, I don't see it happening a lot, but it could be an option is usually talking to the seller agent and see if the seller is willing to reduce a little bit the price in order for them to close the deal. Because maybe the seller is in a rush to get out uh, and because they bought another house. And so they would, they already, let's say they're, their profit of selling this house for 1.25, let's say it's another $400,000, they might be okay uh, reducing their profits to 50K, splitting the difference. So this way you only come up with, instead of 100, you come with a 50K and they reduce it 50K and then you guys meet, reach at midpoint. Or maybe they're okay reducing the 400, I, which maybe it's not an option, but talking to the seller's agent, see if they can 
do something about it could also help because coming up with 50k is easier than coming up with 100k whether it's a private loan or or another appraisal you know what i mean like yeah absolutely so that's something again mortgage brokers should be able to figure this out your agent should be able to talk maybe again you might have to talk to the sellers maybe they'll do a buyer take back yeah. maybe um might not in this market but then again there's always the option of getting that second loan like a second mortgage through a private lender to help you in the meantime but again the mortgage broker will give you a list of options so that's just some of the things that uh, you could be looking yes. at uh, we did get a question from someone on facebook it says i think it would be great if real estate in the market i'm not quite sure what you mean by that but um I think it would be great. Hmm. If you could clarify that more, then I would be able to glad, gladly answer the question, but I'm not quite sure what that meant. Um, but thank you for uh, putting in the comment. And um, yeah, so in the meantime, while we're waiting for the response, we'll move into question number three. I have offered on an assignment sale and was accepted. The builder wants a pre-approval and the bank is asking me for a closing date. I asked the builder and they say that they don't have a particular closing day and I don't need it. I can't get the approval without the exact closing day and the builder is insisting on the approval to proceed. My condition expires in three days. What do I do now? Um, first thing you do is pray. <laughs> and talk to your realtor. Yes. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. again, this is uh, an interesting situation because closing days on, pre on new construction or pre-construction can vary. And that's probably what the builder means. What you need is not necessarily the firm closing date, but the expected, expected closing date. The bank can then basically give you an approval based on that date and adjust later if they have to. But they need to have a date. They can't just be an arbitrary time. So maybe you need to ask the, the uh, realtor to ask the builder for the expected closing date and then move from there. Because other than that, without a closing date, you're in a jam. You might just have to walk away. But reality is they, they, they should have an expected time. And then if it adjusts, it adjusts. Yeah. Okay. Number four? Number four. I'll, I'll take it. Perfect. Uh, if there is a multiple owners on the property where I'm, where I'm submitting an offer to lease for a client, do I put all the names on one line? Example, Bob Smith, Jeff Smith, Mary Smith, Sam Smith, or would others say there to do it? Well, I mean, it's an offer. There's usually one line. I mean, it's simple. You can put them all together. Sometimes yeah. on the top of the agreement, you have two spots where you can have blank space and blank space mm -hmm. where you can have it, for example, of Je Jeff and Mary or a couple, you can have Jeff and Mary Smith on one uh, on, on that side and they put and, and then it could be uh, um, Bob and uh, Sam Smith as an example. That's an opportunity. But other than that, I wouldn't be overly concerned with it. I mean, yeah. as long as it's on the document in one spot where it's easy to find, it shouldn't be a big deal whether, you know, like one line, two lines, Again, it's got to be clear. Yeah. It's got to be clear that they're the uh, owners, and that should be sufficient. Number, Number five. I saw an article where a couple sold their home. Their tenant refuses to leave and stop paying rent. I'm considering selling my rental home as well, 
can what can I do to ensure that this won't happen to me? Again, the, the prayer is always a great way to start. <laughs> but no, let's be honest. Um, there's no 100% way to prove to, to foolproof this. The issue with that article, because I saw it myself, wasn't so much that the tenant wa didn't want to leave. It's that the landlord and tenant board is so backed up that by the time you get them involved, it's past their closing date. That is like the major issue. Had the tenant, landlord and tenant uh, board been open, I mean, it is open, I mean, but they weren't so backlogged and they were able to look at the case right now, then they could have been involved. They could have had an order to leave. And if they still didn't leave, the sheriff could have kicked them out. They would have just gone there, locked the doors and sayonara. But again, you can't get in front of these people because with COVID and everything that happened and all these lockdowns, they're on an 18-month uh, <laughs> backlog. Yeah. So because they're on that 18-month backlog, it's a, kind of a predicament. One of the things I would suggest, if you're going to list your home to sell, maybe talk to the tenants before you list and see uh, what you can do to get them out before you even put it on the market. That's yeah. one of the suggestions I would do. Because yeah. this way, once they're gone, you don't have to worry about it because they're already gone. You might, it's, it might be worth sacrificing a month or two of collecting rent to sell. And what I mean by a month or two is like, well, it's going to take time to sell and there's going to be a closing time. So it'd be a couple of months. You might be out 90 days of rent, but it's better than this situation where they're pretty much out six months rent or more yeah. and, and you know, risk getting sued. In this case here, give them a uh, tentative closing date. So you might not even be out that. Prime example, we're March 21st or 4th, I mean. You want to put your market your house on the market, maybe give them notice for April 1st. So it's April, May. They have to be out by June 1st. Um, offer them one month's rent over and above their last month's rent. Yep. So that uh, is enticing for them to leave. If they leave willingly, they get that month's rent back plus their last month's uh, you know, if included. If they don't give you a hard time, you can go to the landlord and tenant board and they get nothing. Yeah. So that might be in, you know, incentivizing. It might incentivize them to go out there and find a place because they're getting money back. Yeah. So that'll save the headache and save the problems that come from that. Um, and on top of that, because you're getting on the market on April 1st, what will end up happening is you're not going to sell it within five days. By the time you do sell it and closing date is, uh, is set, you'll kind of have an idea whether these guys are going to be problems or not. So you can kind of anticipate it and work from there before... <laughs> You, you get into the jam. Yeah. So that, that's the biggest suggestion. I mean, that's the easiest suggestion and the one that makes the most sense with the least amount of headaches. Um, let's be honest, though. Most tenants are easygoing. As long as you're fair with them, they're fair with you. Yeah. I mean, you always have that odd, what we call professional renter that's out there to scam people. And it doesn't matter where they are. They're going to, and it doesn't matter how good you are. They're going to scam you no matter what. Yeah. If you're one of the uh, landlords that happened to be unlucky and got one of them, you're going to have a problem no matter what you do. So, again, it's not impossible. It just takes more work. So, with that being said, again, I think it's 97% of the people just want to be treated fairly. Yeah. And if they're treated fairly, you know, they won't give you too many problems. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a good percentage. Um, 
Okay, it's another tenant question. Number six, do you want to read? Yeah, sure. Um, I have a tenant that wants to end his lease two months early. They are under the impression that the last two months of deposit is more than enough to cover what's owed, and they can leave early. Obviously, it means that I'm short a month rent. Clearly, they think that just because they left and they are not living there anymore, then I'm paid in full with the last month's rent. The tenant obviously doesn't get the point that a one-year lease means that they are obligated to full year. What can I do about the outstanding month? That's a good question as well. Now, one month being outstanding, that's not terrible because it could have been a lot worse. <laughs> yeah. But um, reality is, again, it goes back to the landlord and tenant board. Um, we could put a claim there. Uh, they can put an order to get paid. Uh, again, it's going to be uh, chasing the uh, tenant and uh, hoping that uh, they end up paying after all that. Um, again, you, I would start off by just contacting them. Yeah. Talk to them and let them know. I mean, a year agreement is a year agreement. Whether they live there or not, that is... Uh, what they agreed to, and that's what they're obligated to. If that doesn't happen, the good part about this is not like you have to get them out of the house and you're having problems. Yeah. It's they've, they've already left. left. So you can go to the landlord tenant board, get a claim against them. And at the very worst case scenario, if you get judgment, which more than likely in this circumstance you will, now don't quote me and say, I am saying you will. I am saying more than likely you will in this circumstance. And at that point in time, you can put a lien on their name. So if they ever own anything and sell it, you get first dibs to the money on, on the amount you're owed plus the interest. So that's other than that. Now, again, one month's rent, is it worth doing all that? That's up to you. How, you know, how, much, are, you know, how much is it worth to you yeah. to go and do, go through all this? And then once they're out, they can relist it on the market for a higher price. Absolutely. Absolutely. Number seven. Oh, my favorite. I'm an international student and I am struggling with landing a place to rent. I have issues when they ask for credit reports and job letters. I'm an international student and would not have a credit rating in Canada. Obviously, when I say that I'm a student, I'm passed on. What can I do to find a place? I'm currently staying in an Airbnb but that's not feasible long-term. Yeah, that is, that is a common problem. I, I hear a lot about it. So I, I think one of the options is to look for rental uh, buildings. Rental buildings don't really care about job uh, letters or, or credit rating as long as you come up with first and last and you submit some re references. And even the fact that you mentioned that you're a student, that they will understand you more. I find that the, the, those options are usually easy. Now, they don't have laundry in each unit. That means you, you do have to go downstairs and do your laundry, but you're a student. I don't think that will be a big problem, better than paying a lot of money for Airbnb. And then some other students, which I don't think everyone can do that, they offer voluntarily more rent up front. Yeah, some people pay up to six yeah. months ahead. Yeah. Um, so. Just to entice the landlord to say yes. Yeah. But an even simpler solution and it also depends where you're going to school because that's going to be key. Yeah. Like, for example, out in Hamilton, near McMaster's University, there is what's called student housing. There are landlords that literally go out and buy houses to rent for students. Yeah. If you found a student rental, 
once you say you're a student and you prove you're a student, it's a shoe in. Yeah. Right, because they're looking for students. They're not looking. What are other options other than next to Mike Master? That's the only one I know of because it's the only one I dealt with. Yeah. I haven't uh, dealt with a lot of uh, students. Actually, I lied. I've dealt with uh, students downtown Toronto for, I think it was UFT, but. I went through the traditional finding finding them a condo six months up front. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, but they do exist. I've heard of the ones downtown. I think they're along Spadina, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I, I mean, I've heard of downtown having student rentals. I know they exist. Yeah, it's just that I haven't spent a lot of time to figure out where they are. And also the apartment buildings, rental buildings. Yeah, they they they're okay. Um, the other thing is, look at Facebook Marketplace. A lot of people, a lot of landlords that uh, don't want to pay a realtor. They just want to list their home, want people to call them direct. They just go to Facebook Marketplace or Kijiji. Yeah. Um, I would caution against Kijiji. There's been a lot of... Um, Scams. Yeah. yeah. But I've heard a lot of good things with Facebook and Marketplace. And I'll be honest, as a realtor, when I have a listing for a lease, I put it on Marketplace as well. And I've had good luck with that. So I, I think Facebook Marketplace right now is a really good spot. I don't know what it'll be like in the future. But today... It's a good option to look at. Um, you just want to be careful. You might want to still consult with a realtor and have a realtor help you. At least look over the documents to make sure it's legit. So aside from that, that's a good a good place to look. There's a lot of people looking for uh, students out there. Yeah. Um, eight. I am looking at a condo with my agent. My budget is about 550K. And I'm not seeing very much in that budget. My condolences. Um, I found a place and showed my agent. He said that it's a co-op building, not a condo. I'm not sure what the difference is. Can you explain the difference and the pros and cons between the two? This is so you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I. Uh, okay. Well, here is it. It's really just a type of ownership. Um, when you're with a condo, you own the unit. So if you have a 900-square-foot condo, what happens on 900 square feet inside belong is what you're purchasing. You're purchasing it, you get title. Yeah. And a lot of times you have parking as, as yours as well. It's not exclusive use. It belongs to you. Again, it gets added to your maintenance fees. Um, and on top of that, it's part of the payment. Sometimes you have a locker with it and you own all three if that's the case. What you don't own in a condo unit, which is a very big misconception and not a lot of people know this, is the balcony. Because a lot of times you look at it and say, ah, it's my balcony. Actually, no, it belongs to the condo. Yeah. The bonus of it is it's not like the guy on the third floor is going to jump to the fourth floor to use your, your balcony. It's still exclusive use to you, but it, it actually belongs to the condo, which means they're also liable for the repairs. So that's why I said it's kind of a bonus. Yeah. But it's, it's very confusing because it's attached to your door, your, your, your place, and you're sitting there going, what do you mean I don't own this? No, no. But that's just the way it is, yeah. and not a big deal. That's with all condo buildings that are that way. They're just it is what it is. But everything on the inside of that, you are responsible for. You own. It's like owning a house where if uh, your furnace breaks, you're responsible for that. Where um, if on a rental, as an example, furnace breaks, you call the landlord. Um, where the co differences with that and the co-op, you do not own the unit you're in. The corporation of the building owns that unit and the parking and everything else. What you do own 
is a piece of that corporation. So it's almost like you're an investor in the building. You're buying shares. Yes, you're buying shares of that corporation, right. and that's what you're you're getting. So in a way, you own a piece of the whole building, not just the one part. Yeah, but it's a small, it's a piece. Now, five hundred and fifty dollars would probably be a quarter percent of that corporation, or one percent, or whatever, right? Like, so it's a very small piece, but it's still a piece. So that's generally the difference. The con is it's harder to get a mortgage on a co-op than it is to get it on a uh, condo. Because if, if you don't pay your mortgage and the mortgage company wants to put a lien, who do they put a lien against? Yeah. Because you don't own anything. You own a share of the corporation. So yeah. they put a lien against your share. It becomes more complicated and a lot of times banks don't want to get involved in it. And, and you don't see a lot of them anymore. And, and they're always priced less than the condos because not a lot of people are interested in them. That's probably why the person saw it, yeah. found a co-op, probably a bigger unit, and couldn't figure out, yep. you know, what's the difference? What's the catch? <laughs> yeah. So now with a co-op, a lot of times, like you said, they're lower priced. Um, they also have a board of directors. So it's not just getting an accepted offer. Someone on the board of directors has to approve the purchase. So that's one of the conditions that gets put on in the offer. Yeah. Um, this way they kind of control who's in the building, who's not. And that could be a good thing because security-wise, if they're interviewing a person, you kind of know what you're getting. Or a condo can be anybody who has money to get in there. Um, so that's kind of a pro. Another pro is that often with co-ops, your property taxes are included in the maintenance fee. So when you see a co-op is a $400 a month maintenance fee, your taxes are generally in that fee. Where a condo, when you see the $400 maintenance fees, that's just the maintenance. It's just the maintenance fees. It's plus the taxes. Yeah. So it could be little details like that that you have to analyze. And again, like co-ops today in at least Ontario or Toronto. Let's talk Toronto because I know Toronto. Yeah. At least co-ops in Toronto, generally there's not a lot of them left. And they're typically older buildings where uh, condos are new. So I guess not a lot of people are building co-ops now compared to before. Yeah. Again, there could be other positives, like if it's if you're looking for you know low price to get in, low maintenance co-ops are usually that. Um, if the co-op gets a buyout offer from an investor, you can make your money in a very short period of time because usually if that happens, that happens pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, the con is going to be that um, I think the rules are going to be a little bit more uh, heavy on that. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, like it's you, usually they don't allow you to rent out your unit. So if you're an investor, having a co-op is a horrible idea. Yeah, um, because again, they have to approve who comes into the building, and usually one of the uh, conditions on that is there's no rentals. So, I, I think co-op in the next few years we we won't find them anymore. Well, those buildings aren't going away. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like newer ones. Um, Number nine. Number nine. I have generally always gone with a fixed rate mortgage. I was considering a variable rate, but with the rising interest rate in 2022, does it make any sense to do that? Well, at the end of the day, it's just numbers. So you gotta you gotta calculate um, how much is the fixed rate is going to save you or money in terms of cost or or considering the increases of, of during the, the term, the same term over the fixed year, let's say it's a three-year term. If you calculate the cost, 
um, for the three years with the increases and the cost for the three years with the fixed rate. And you got to see which one is more more affordable. Yeah, well, what this way you'll know. Yeah, what it comes down to here is that generally the uh, variable variable rate is generally lower. Um, the danger is that it's variable because it adjusts to the market, and we've already been, you know, indicate there's already been indication that they were making five rate adjustments in 2022. Now, the first opportunity they passed on it. The second opportunity they did raise the interest rate. Now, the third opportunity, which is April 13th, is the next announcement. They're either going to pass on it or raise it again. So if you're on a variable and it keeps going up and they follow through, you got to figure out, is the offer you're getting today going to still be feasible? Lower. Like, like if the fixed rate, sorry, the variable rate is going to be lower, but after the three additional raises or four, whatever they're going to do, is it going to still be cheaper than the fixed? Because it's not like you can convert after the fact. So, I mean, you can, you have to write a new agreement, which then is going to come with cancellation fees and the cancellation fees might actually be more than the difference in interest. So it's not worth it. So whatever your term is, if your mortgage term is three years, five years, you got to decide which one are you willing to live with? Sure. Fixed rate will be higher right now, but it'll be consistent. You know what you're paying. Like if you want to know, I'm just paying $1,500 a month. That's my mortgage. It never changes. Fixed rate's the way to go. Yeah. And, and you don't plan on moving soon. That too. That too. Yes. So if I'm going to be there for the whole five years of my mortgage or whatever it is. And you know what? I just want to know what my monthly bill is. I don't want to fluctuate. Then fixed rate is the way to go. If you're willing to put up with the pain of the, uh, of the uh, mortgage adjusting, you might save a bit of money, assuming that, it, that the increases aren't that bad. Now, it could work the opposite. Example, a fixed rate, you might get 1.9%. Well, today it's going to be more like 2.3, but... Yeah, 2 point something. Now, yeah, yeah where, um, where a fixed rate, you'll probably get 3.2, 3.3, something like that. So it'll be about a percent difference. Now, if you think that all the increases are always going to be under that 1% difference from now to when you renew, that might be worth it. Yeah. But if you think there's too much of a risk then lock in. It all depends on how comfortable you are with the risk. And what do you want to do with the property? Yeah. Because variable, if you decide to sell, the cost of breaking the mortgage for the variable is about three months of interest. Well, maybe it depends on the contract between different banks, but that's usually the cost is three months of interest. But if it's a fixed, that depends on how many years is left on the, on the mortgage term. And if it's more than like two or three years, it's usually a big penalty. Yeah, so it's, again, that's something you got to talk to your broker and see what you're signing. Now, I'll warn you, because some, uh, some of those mortgages have $30,000 cancellation fees. Yeah, that's, yeah, and, that's you know what I mean? Like, and that was, in the, sense, yeah. that was in the news, uh, what, a, a couple of years ago, yeah. where somebody sold the property and they found out it cost them 30 k to break it. Now, it's not all, because I refinanced myself when COVID hit, and um, my penalty was, I think, $1,800. So that's not bad. Yeah. So it all depends. Now again, you got to ask yourself the interest rate, right? Will the eighteen hundred dollars cost more, or will the interest rate that you're getting cost more? And that's a personal decision. That's you got to figure it out. But again, some of those mortgage things in the fine print is a thirty thousand dollar cancellation fee. No amount of interest savings is going to add up to thirty grand. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, yeah, it's gone. 
So again, you have to read the contract before you sign it and really go through it. And if you have a very qualified mortgage broker, they will explain that to you. You won't get caught by surprise. Yeah. So again, it goes based on the contract. Something it's a personal decision. It's not something that we can tell you you should do this or you should do that. It's what are you gonna do? Yeah. Go through it with the mortgage broker and they'll tell you the ins and outs. And that should give you a clearer picture of which is going to be right for you. Number 10. This one's fun. I have my investment property on the market to rent. I am noticing through the application, a lot of people are saying that they are looking to move because their landlord is selling the home they rent. This has got me thinking with everything that is going on and others selling the rental homes, is this something that I should consider doing too? Do they know something that I don't? Again, um, there's been a lot of activity in the market. So you're going to start seeing a lot more stuff that you normally wouldn't, mm -hmm. such as people are selling it. A lot of times, it could be something, it could be nothing. Uh, it also depends on what you want. Yeah. Right? So as an example... If you're 65 and you plan to cash out in two years anyways, and you don't really want to go through a market change or anything, you just, you know what, you were just going to hold on for two years, maybe consider selling now. Just get out of the market, grab your cash. You can invest it into uh, a GIC, a mutual fund of some sport, and get your interest rate there. You get your payments, and, and everything's gone away. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Or if you're gonna, you're looking at it and saying, well, you know, I'm going to keep it for at least another 15, 20 years. Well, let's look at the last 40 years of uh, 40 year average and the last 40 year average that real estate doubled every 10 years. Yeah. Now we've been on this supercharged market that it actually doubled in seven years, but don't bank on that bank on the normal. Yes, exactly. So, um, and some even, areas even less than seven years. Exactly. Yeah. But let, let's bank on the normal and say the 10, even base it at worst. If you're, gonna, if you're willing to keep it for 15 years, then 100% worth keeping it and not selling it. Yeah. You know, maybe I'll call the other landlords that are selling, say thank you for my new tenant. tenant. I mean, obviously don't really do that, but yeah. it's one of those things that I wouldn't worry about it. A lot of times people are speculating and they're trying to uh, time the market. And um, how would you feel if you sold the house and then in three years later, you realize the person who bought it from you resold it and got an extra 200 grand? If you're going to turn around saying, you know what, I got the money I wanted, I got okay. it, I don't care, then yeah. Then sell it. If you turn around saying, crap, I should have waited, then don't. Then don't. But you also have to think, if it dropped 50 grand, you got to be okay with that too. Yeah. But then again, if you keep it for the next three, four years, remember, even if it drops 50K, the rent you collected compensates for that. Yeah. So it's almost, if you're renting the house, it's almost a no-lose, right? Even at the worst-case scenario. If it's the house you're living in, different conversation. But the house is an investment property. I'm assuming you already have your own house you're living in. You're not planning to move. Then it's just extra income. You just keep collecting rent. And when you get the price you want, then you can sell. Again, you're in retirement. You want to sell in the next year or two. Jump on the bandwagon. Get it on the market. Yeah. Uh, but if you plan to keep it more than the two years, stay put. That's my advice. Yeah. yeah. And that is... That's it. All 10 questions for today. That was good.
Yes. That's good. I mean, I noticed a lot of the questions were uh, lease-based. Lease-based and mortgage-related. And mortgage-related. We were supposed to have yeah, a mortgage we person were, with us, we were, but we, we might have... Life happens. <laughs> Later on, we might have some mortgage brokers with us joining us um, as guests Yeah, to, so. to have some questions related to mortgages. I've noticed that there's been um, price changes a lot lately. So I'm sure that's been uh, you know fueling some of these questions. Yeah, yeah, and and some I noticed also in Durham region there's a lot of terminations for listings. So they list a property, they have an offer date set at a certain day, and then you you see that the, the day after it's been terminated. So some of them after the termination you get to see them relisted at another price. Some of them they just disappear. So I just wanted to yeah, that that's a I've good noticed point. this past ten days or I week. I'm starting to see a lot of people actually listing it at market value, not below market, so they can say they sold it for $300,000 over asking. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what a bunch of nonsense. Um, but anyways, that's the market we went through. That's the way it was. Everybody yeah. did it. Yeah. And again, you know, like that's, that's interesting. Now, could it just be fueled by the uh, mortgage, in, not mortgage industry, the uh, March break and some of the other stuff that's happening? Right, like part of it, yes, because people were on vacation mode, whether they're in vacation physically somewhere else or they're here. But a lot of people were like, I'm done from this market. I want to take some time off. I want to see my kids. You know, it's March break. Well, think of it. We just went two years, almost two and a half years. With no. With being told that we're going to get the cooties if we leave the house. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's like people are fed up. They they need to change now. Now we're being told we can get out of the house, we can take off our masks, we can travel. That's exactly what people wanted to do. Yeah. So right. So that did take a portion of the market buyers out of them. The, the yeah, I think so too. I also think that there's going to be many people that went through 15 offers where they competed with 40 other people. And lost, and they're just like, you know what? They're done. I'm gonna wait this out. I'm done. Yeah, right. So I'm sure that's contributed too. So it's also a good time to buy enough. <laughs> I think it's a short window. Yeah. Right. And again, look before it picks up again. Well, look, Ukraine war, mm -hmm. um, interest rate, interest rates. Um, they're talking about another variant. You start hearing all these things, and people start going, "I want to see what's gonna happen." Yeah. Right, so they may wait and pause for a month or two, just to see what's going on. Yeah, and then uh, from that month or two, then they're going to decide whether they're back in or not. So I think if you're a buyer, maybe now's the time to go in and try to get yourself. The next off. two months is a good time to buy. Yeah, after that, I mean, who can? Who knows? We'll see what happens. Yeah, uh, but I think now's a great time. Yeah. Well, this has been the latest edition of the Q and A. If you like what you're seeing and you like the content on my channel. Subscribe below, and we'll see you in two weeks for the next edition.